Quiet on the set. Okay, everybody, quiet on the set. Scene one, take ten, Marker. From the studio of WHUP LP Hillsborough, welcome to Murmur. My name is Robert Malazzo, and over the next hour together, we'll explore where culture meets craft. Today on Murmur, a genre checks in, but it doesn't check out. Filmmaker, writer, actor, Ty West is here to discuss the state of horror. Welcome. Murmur. Welcome to Murmur. Robert Malazzo here with you. I am the uh, founder and the lead instructor of the Modern School of Film. Always happy to be with you here live once a week on WHUPLP Hillsborough. We're also on iTunes. We're on Stitcher. Still haven't figured out what Stitcher is, but we're on it. We are also, uh, you can download us through our website, murmurradio.com you can email us murmurradio at gmail.com also the mothership website is modernschoolfilm.com we're going to be on the road a couple of times soon Uh, May 10th we'll be in Boston at the Coolidge Corner Cinema or theater I think they call themselves a theater the Coolidge Corner Theater will be hosting us May 10th. Uh, we're doing our In Pictures series. In Pictures is where we talk to smart people about movies. Uh, Dr. Skip Gates, Dr. Henry uh, Louis Gates Jr. will be with us May 10th in Boston. And May 31st, the last day of May, we'll be in Chicago at the Onion Film Festival. Uh, sorry, the Onion Comedy Festival. We will be talking with Christopher Guest about the movies he loves uh, in pictures. So both programs are called In Pictures. For tickets or uh, just for more information on those, go to our website, modernschoolofilm.com. Social media at MSF Murmur. And every week, live WHUPLP. So excited to be here. Uh, lots to, to dig into, so let's dig. Horror, the state of horror. We, we're do, uh, we do a series of episodes or chats on the state of, the state of genre, the state of form. Um, today is the state of horror with a young master of horror, Ty West. Horror is, is a really fortifying genre and style. It's not, you know, it's all these things. It's an approach, it's a genre, it's a style, it's a film, it's a it's it's around us. It's it's 
it's fascinating on a level of how it reflects, you know, horror has been a metaphor typically, whether it's a vampire film as a metaphor, zombie films as metaphors, and film as it is itself as a form a metaphor to have a genre be such a potent metaphor and marry those two. I think film does horror as well as, I mean, it's sort of a uniquely cinematic genre yes there are tv horror film horror <laughs> almost fell into calling tv horror films but there's tv horror content there's short form horror content but i think cinema still owns the emotional rights to the potency of horror so we're going to talk today with a filmmaker who is forging work in horror ty west uh, a really amazing body of work and he's a big brain and a big thinker and I, I don't know him well, but I think we're going to talk about the larger realities of cinema because horror often reflects something that we're trying to say through cinema. And you can make the argument now that it's the last frontier of being able to say something unique in cinema. As it is a uniquely cinematic experience, we have the audience in that place. Let's say something uniquely cinematic to them in that place. So horror takes on a lot of power and potency. Also, from a young crafts perspective, crafts person perspective, student, I love teaching horror to students and having them use that skill set in projects. It's agnostic in the sense of even if you don't like horror films, the tools of that trade, of horror trade, are really the chopsticks on the piano. Hitchcock has proven that. You know, Other filmmakers, Murnau has proven that. Those those attributes that we we assign to horror are often the best building blocks for the filmmaker. So we have those pylons. We have the pylons that it's it's a uniquely cinematic genre. We have the pylons that it, it fortifies craft. But we also have this other pylon. I love saying pylons. I haven't said pylon since I was in gym class a thousand years ago. But the last pylon is uh, it often says something about where our society is. And maybe this is the metaphoric value re-resonating. But it does, I think, check in, allows us to check in with us as a, as a nation and maybe a world. So what, what do horror films say? You know, we talked with Alex Proyas about the state of science fiction. And I think the state of science fiction film and TV content is a, is a referendum or is a measure of, of the budgetary realities of filmmaking content creation because you don't really go around making low-budget horror successfully, so I think, or, or sci-fi successfully. So I think what does sci-fi, what, sorry, what does horror magnify, conversely, is I think that the state of us, the state of our subconscious maybe, or the state of the, th- the, horror is a safe way to say the things we really want to say. It's a fantasy space. There are other cinematic fantasy spaces, crime and superhero genres, but I think horror is is primordial, and it really, on a technical level, but on an emotional level, it says something about what we're trying to say, but we can't say in polite society. So let's be impolite and, and say it in horror films. Today with us, one of the smartest, most impolite artists I know, Ty West, to talk about all, all things horror, the state of horror, first this. Hey, man. You want to, you, you have two hours tomorrow from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. and be an extra in a film? Are you, hey, are you sure about that, Charlie? 
Hey, do you know where I live? I live two blocks from you. All right, dude, you got a pen? Can you get a pen? Yeah, I mean, you've you've seen a lot of movies, haven't you? Yeah. And you basically know how to frame shots? <clears throat> I guess. No, not really. But, <laughs> but I mean, if you would see an action, you would kind of like f centrifugally focus on it, it being in the center? Yeah, I, I can figure that out, yeah. <laughs> and fuck it, man. I think my mom's going to have to end up going out in the woods. I mean, it's just one of those things. I have my shopping to do, and I have I know. so much. The last day I can shoot, all of the extras have just fell through, man, except for... Mike Shank right there, all right? You gotta help me. Mark, I have so much to do. And I'm doomed, I'm doomed. I'm but doomed. What am I supposed to do? Just stand there. Hey Mike, make sure everyone has brown gloves. Does everyone have brown gloves? Oh, dude, dude, dude. <laughs> you got, you got. I have some here. Okay, yeah. of the group of the Colvin, and then I got one shot, which is a close-up of me, and then one shot of a swish right to left of a tight of a Colvin member as he, as he sees him right, for the first time, yeah. Mass. Yeah, low angle, man. Gonna need somebody to scale a tree and get that snow off. So everybody just come up for a second, right up to the camera. I'm just gonna go wide on you. Oh, oh yeah. Okay, this is kind of great, but it doesn't, okay, you gotta spread apart like about five feet each. Penny, can you please put that, that soda, my soda, on the tart so it's not frozen when we're done? Because I'd like to drink it, please. Now you guys got to look menacing. Can you be more menacing? <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, we, we got to do what we can do then, I guess. All right. Uh, yeah, I think it went pretty good, but I don't want to say that until I see the footage, man, because you never know what's going to happen. I've been here out here five fucking times now, man, uh, doing the same shit. But I'll fucking get this down, man. And I think with these last four shots, man, we might have this fucker in the can. Cut. How's that, man? Talk to me. Good. Okay. Yeah. Well, we can't see your beard. How's that? What well, do you, you can, see? You what can do, see do, like do, part do. of the beard. Okay. This is the edge of the close-up, and then like. Fuck it. You're right. Dostoevsky famously said, 1862, uh, he said, the degree of civilization in a society can be judged by entering its prisons. Well, unfortunately, this was, he made this statement long before horror films came to be, because I've long since thought that the state of the temperature, the emotional temperature of our culture, cinematically is best told through horror films. Continuing our series today on the state of, uh, we bring in a young practitioner. He doesn't just make horror films, just to be clear about that, but he is a big horror brain. So we're really honored to have with us um, a young man, a young filmmaker. Two weeks after film school, he was offered the opportunity to direct a first feature. Uh, his mentor at the time, Larry Fassenden, um, 
offered him that opportunity. And in 2005, he had his debut film, The Roost, an amazing film. Since then, he's gone on to make a lot of really wonderful horror films and more. Please welcome to Murmur, The Pride of Wilmington, Delaware, by way of the King of Prussia Mall. Uh, welcome to Murmur, Ty West. There's a very... Uh... <laughs> grandiose intro and like intense dose Gessy and then took a weird turn towards uh, the King of Prussian Mall but I'm following you I, I appreciate it thanks for having me well I always used to read my Dostoevsky at the Smith Haven Mall on Long Island so I just thought you know why not put it all in the mix uh, and for those of you who yeah, the food court is a great place <laughs> for existentialism Arch Julius man every time hey uh, yeah, th- exactly. thank you for being with us are you sick of talking about horror yourself I mean I think of you as more than simply a horror filmmaker, but are you sick of fielding this kind of these kind of questions? We could skip right to the end if you are. <laughs> um, no, it, you know it's it, it's a it's an interesting question. I guess I'm I'm sick of like less interesting questions, but also um, I, it's really fun for me to talk about movies or art or culture or whatever. Right? It's not so fun to me to like talk about it in one sentence or in a very like packaged way that and that's what a lot of times like if you're being interviewed is like what people want you to say because it's only for a you know a one-page blog post or something like that or a quick promotion of the movie and so those questions are never really that engaging and they're not supposed to be and so it's fine it's just kind of like selling the movie is really what it is or like yeah. doing your job yeah whereas like you know you open this time about dostoevsky and like what horror has to do with culture and the state of the country like that's a lot to unpack and there's probably certain filmmakers that don't feel like unpacking. I'm a kind of person that's like, oh, that's a really interesting conversation to have because, you know, I'm like, I'm into just like rambling on about stuff. So yeah. that's compelling to me yeah. um, when it's just sort of like, why horror or something like that? It's sort of like, I don't what do you want me to say? You know. So that interview uh, that I have on, of you on microfiche uh, from Teen People, I shouldn't refer to that. Is that basically what you're saying? <laughs> Man, you dug deep. <laughs> This is the this is the horror of the internet. Sort of like, this, is, this should not be known information. Like it's just we so don't weird. we don't play around here, man. I like to have folks on when they're not uh, talking about a project. So that said, um, let's jump into it in a very basic way. Uh, define the word, and and you've I've heard you speak about the cluttering of the subgenres of horror. But you know, if if uh, if this was a Radiohead song and a Martian landed and said, "What's horror?" mean in terms of film how would you describe it um i would say uh there's the, the context of that question is rather loaded but i would i would say for the most part i think horror is um provocative is the way i look at it and it could be provocative because of like some certain the, the the way most people think of it would be like oh that must mean it's really violent or it's very gory or it's meant to provoke you in some sort of like negative confronting way like maybe um but as a filmmaker as a film fan i think it's every bit as provocative um as far as the craft of filmmaking because the thing about horror that draws me to it besides the sort of like taboo-ness of it which just i was naturally drawn to for whatever reason there's as a filmmaker it's really kind of one step away from like an experimental film genre like there's nothing like with the craft of filmmaking you can kind of do anything in a horror movie because the context of it being a horror movie people will go with you Mm, and and that's that's a really like long leash that i think is a is a like a great gift to have because if you're going to go make a film and you want to experiment with the craft of filmmaking the art of filmmaking whatever semantics you want to use 
And you have a horror movie where you can do that and you can get as strange or as linear or whatever as you want to do. Um, there's no other genre that offers you that as um, you can do it in other genres, but the, the chance for failure is so much higher. Mm. So horror mm. in a way by having less of a chance for failure, I don't necessarily think that's a good thing, but I think that's a inspiring, that's an empowering thing to say like, no, like people are more willing to like go with you on this ride. So like, in fact, let's encourage you to do that. The unfortunate thing is that it very rarely happens anymore. And, um, but there's something interesting about that too, because that for me means, you know, I get bummed out at, at like the lack of interesting horror, but I'm always still like always scanning for like, uh, where's the next fix. Um, and it's really satisfying when they show up, but they show up, you know, I wish they showed up more. I tell my film students, it's funny. I could show them Antonioni or, you know, I could show them Renoir. I could show them any filmmaker you want to cite. But when I show them Evil Dead by Sam Raimi, they get inspired because, as you've said, I've heard you say this about Bad Taste, the Peter Jackson film. A film like Evil Dead shows you how it was made, in a sense, or you see how the strings are attached. And to a filmmaker. It changed my life. Yeah. Yeah, talk a little bit I mean, about that, that, not to that, be too reductive, because like, I don't think it's an insult to see how a movie is made. I think that depends on who you are as the filmmaker. There's some people that may just see it as a lesser, trashy thing, um, or as B-movies, or as whatever, and, and not, and it, it just may not connect with it. Being that I grew up, like, at a video store, obsessing over everything I could see, and the, the stuff that you weren't allowed to see is the stuff I wanted to see the most. Some <laughs> people aren't like that. Some people will just be fine watching Disney movies. I was fine watching Disney movies, but I was more interested in what was happening in that other corner of the room that you weren't supposed to go in. And so why that is, I don't know. That's a deeper psychological probably issue. But um, that is why I was sort of drawn to horror movies is like this idea of like, you can't take it. And I always had this attitude of like, like, don't tell me what I can't take, you know? And so I was always looking for the, the most shocking, the most interesting. And the more, the deeper you get in that, the more open your brain gets to like weird stuff and then the weirder the better at that point um but as far as like seeing the strings and things like that yeah it's it's a really interesting way that people can like a lot of people can look at a movie like people then go it looks i can see the strings this is so stupid right and then i look at it and go this is like so amazing because it's not about whether you can see the strings it has nothing to do with like it's not like they didn't know that it's like it's about like are you are you like? Are you getting a visceral feeling from this? Are you seeing what they're doing? Are you seeing what they created? And like, if you are, then this is something to be very appreciative. And as a young filmmaker, I'm sure it's changed now, but like, the 80s and the 90s. 90s was probably like the last decade of before like making movies was not a crazy thing to do because like YouTube and reality TV and you know it, it just people now think like making movies it's like when i grew up skateboarding you like got arrested now like they probably teach skateboarding in high school because you can become a millionaire so quickly you know what i mean like it's probably an after school sport and if it's not i bet it will be and there'll be skate parks in like school recess playgrounds right. and it's not crazy to think that now when i grew up you were just running from the cops skateboarding like it was a whole different energy yeah. and so i feel the same way about filmmaking like when i grew up filmmaking from coming from women to daughter like no one knows what that is that's like something people out in hollywood do like no one even has the first idea of how you would do that and if they even entertain that idea the next thought is this is a really irresponsible stupid thing to do you can't do that Mm -hmm. and so i sort of felt that way and then when i saw bad taste or i saw evil dead i was like this is a dude in new zealand with his friends this is a dude in michigan with his friends right he's 19 like oh they just did it. They're not Hollywood people. They just went out and made a movie, and they had enough 
like dedication, enough tenacity, and enough creativity um, to pull it off. It made me go like, oh, I could maybe I don't won't do it well, but I but I there's no one saying you can't do this anymore because they did, it. and that's that's huge. If you come from a place where that it's not encouraged to do such a thing based on just sort of like ignorance, like that's a that was a, a big open door for me. Orson Welles used the term the confidence of ignorance. He didn't know what he couldn't do on, on Kane, you know, so he could do anything. We're speaking with Ty yeah. West. Uh, you know, it's interesting. I think The Shining was a gift to the genre because it's also the other pole, as you say. It's high technical craftsmanship. So horror is Teflon in that way, isn't it? It does get like the film studies people off as well. Sure. You know, Eyes Without a Face. and the Eyes Without a Face, The Shining, uh, Don't Look Now. Exorcist, Rosemary Babies, movies like that. Um, as a filmmaker, like it's incredibly difficult to make that movie, and the craft of the filmmaking is at the highest caliber. Like that's, I mean, The Shining is as good of a movie as somebody can make. Forget the fact that it's a whatever a haunted hotel movie it doesn't matter. Just the way it's made is like I dare anyone to do that because they can't. <laughs> yeah. Like only one person could do that, yeah. and that's yeah. like. That's incredible. Like, when, you know, uh, if only one person can do that, this is something that really needs to be paid attention to because, like, what an amazing achievement. And as a filmmaker, sort of sometimes the downside for horror for me is, like, the majority of horror is not made with the highest craft in mind. It's made with the sort of, like, shocks and the moments in mind, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But me as a filmmaker, I get a little bored because I'm like, no, I want to be challenged or see... You know, like if Lars Van Trier makes a horror movie, I'm like, I guess, what's this going to be about? Interesting. You know what I mean? Because he's yeah. good. He's he's thinking about movies differently. Yeah. When there's just another little like low budget horror movie, it's like, well, is this should experiment with craft and make a really great movie about something, or is this just to show that you can do this and entertain an audience? Nothing wrong with the latter, but it's as a filmmaker, it's a little bit. Uh, it's not boring it's, to me. It's just not as engaging to me because yeah. I'm looking for. Like if Terry Gilliam made a horror movie, I would be front and center because I'd be like, "What's that going to be?" Right, right, right. Because then it becomes passable. Craft is so fascinating. Yeah, we don't want just passable films. I mean, horror is also, as you say, it's it's ripe I with. Think we do. I, I think we do now. I, I, don't, I don't. Right, right. Do. No, I I understand I what you're saying. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, yeah. yes. Yeah, yeah. Which well, is a problem. I mean, for me, it's a problem. It yes. may not be a problem for anybody else, but for me, <laughs> yes. passable horror is not. Like, I'm kind of like, yeah, I don't, like, passable horror shouldn't be eradicated. Like, everyone, you know, do you, do what you got to do. But, like, I'm really comfortable with passable horror when there's, like, great horror. What are you seeing as trends? I mean, you, we could go into in individual titles or we can keep it a little more open. But what do you see as the preoccupation of, of, of this genre now? There is a relationship between horror films and what the culture is investigating, what are you seeing being investigated yeah. through horror films right now? I, well, I think we're in a transition. I don't think we know yet. I think you're right. I think certainly not just who makes rights horror movies, because plenty of people have written movies five years ago that will get made now, and so it doesn't really match the zeitgeist. Right. However, right. the sort of culmination of everybody suddenly liking that script or having an idea to write a new script or the, the sudden interest in greenlighting a certain project that we weren't before, that's based on, like, zeitgeist, as you said, but it's based on some cultural change. And obviously, America's gone through a like, bold cultural change in the last several months. So the movies, I think, or art typically is either going to be a little ahead of that or a little behind that. Well, well so, can, can I interrupt for a second? Because I was thinking of The Purge. Yeah. Something like The Purge, does that sit well 
now. Does that reflect something to you, or is that another brick in the wall of anythingness? Um, to, it does not to me. I think that's a very fair question, and there's someone that may extrapolate a lot from say the purge. The purge to me seems um, it's obviously connected to darkness in people, right? Like they're they're wanting to sort of, and you know, maybe you could tie that in politically to say like, wow, all these people that were quite suddenly showed up and were okay with something that no one expected to be okay with, and that's an eye awakening thing. But that aside, I look at the purge, and I don't mean this pejoratively. I look at the purge as sort of like a very high-concept idea, mm-hmm. right, that people can relate to because it relates to, like, ooh, you could be bad, and everybody is kind of trying, living their lives trying not to be bad, like trying to be a better person, and I think it taps into that. And I think it's very clever, and I think it's very high-concept, and it's very marketable, and I think that's, that's what I think people really latched on to that movie at the time. But, yeah, does it, does it absolutely have commentary uh, about some dark social stuff? For sure, and that's what I think makes the movie, like, you know, resonate with people. Without that, I don't think it would. Um, but like I said, it heavily is like a little before whatever happens in society and a little bit what after happens. Right. And that may have been a precursor to where we are. And, you know, maybe get out is a little bit of like now we're, but I mean, it's not like Jordan wrote that script now that's been around for a little while. So, um, but it's interesting. It's definitely interesting to follow. I mean, you look at like towards the end of Iraq war, it was like torture and like, that's not a coincidence, right. you know, right. like we, we somehow became subconsciously like surrounded and obsessed with violence whether we liked or wanted to or not yeah you know and it was just a weird that energy worked its way into movies and i don't know you know i I, if i had to guess i would say movies are going to start to get a lot more um i think there'll be two kinds of movies there'll be kinds of movies that are trying to uh rise above and make points and tell stories that are like we should aspire to be and then there will be things that really focus on the darker side of things um, I tend to lean towards that, which is weird because some people will look at that as, oh, my God, like, you're fine with this dark stuff. It's like, no, to me, being confronted by the dark stuff makes me think about it more than you telling me an amazing story that somebody did. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> yeah. um, not that I don't appreciate an amazing story somebody did, but like when I see the really dark stuff people are doing, that's more likely to make me think about, like, how close am I to that? Then if I see someone triumphantly do something and change the world, you know, that's incredibly motivational and inspiring and incredible. But it's harder, I think, to connect with that because it seems impossible at times. Whereas when you see people doing dark things, you go, oof, like I haven't done that. But have I ever been near that? Like that makes me think. And then that stimulates something in people to like, you know, and then that whatever that stimulates tends to end up culturally in like, you know, art or pop culture. Mm-hmm. And so we're likely headed for, I mean, it's going to get, I mean, it, could, it might get really weird, but if we're being agnostic, it might get really interesting. I don't know. Okay, I gotta, we got to do one line uh, for the film. No one can hear you say, it's all right, it's okay, there's something to live for, Jesus told me so. When am I going to eat my dinner here? Can you give him some cheese and crackers? Can we get the man something to eat so we can record this, uh, this, this one bit of uh, dialogue here? Oh, nuts. It's, a, it's the first line of the film, man. It's got to be on the money here. Roll down the window, Bill. It's all right. Uh... Okay, cut. All right, man. Shit. It's you gotta give it some passion too, man. And you gotta. It's all right. It's okay. There's something to live for. Oh. Jesus told me so. It's all right. Uh, there's something to live for. Jesus told me so. Okay, great, Bill. But we gotta. We have to have fluidity in there. 
It's all right. It's okay. Uh, okay. Okay. Cut. You got to bring passion to it. A message. It's a message. This it's is the, for the shits and for the birds. <laughs> this is for the birds. Okay. I believe we can do this. I believe this can be done, Bill. Hey, man, Mike, why don't you keep you track of what takes these are, man? Does this fucking take seven? Okay, let's do take seven, man. It's all right. It's okay. Um, Cut. Okay. You have to believe in what you're saying, Bill. You do? Well, it, I don't. I don't believe nothing what you're doing. All right. Give it some passion. It's all right. It's okay. There's something to live for. Jesus told me so. You did it before. You could do it again. Okay, this is take eight. It's all right. It's okay. Okay, that's fine. You got to watch your teeth, too, because they clack a little bit when they loosen up in the mouth. And take ten. It's all right. It's okay. It's something to live for. Jesus told me so. Bill, you couldn't ask for anything better. I think it was recorded too high. Give it all you got. Uh, what take is this? 16. This is take 16. Let's go. Take 30. It's all right. Hold up. Take 30. It's all right. It's okay. This, uh, Jesus told me so. There's something to live for. Okay. Cut. Take 31. Oh, is that enough now? No, listen, Bill. I ain't going to do this anymore. That's all for me. Goodbye. Okay. Uh, I'm going to see what we have to work with. I'm going to... Jesus Christ, man. Oh, we're speaking with Ty West, who obviously has thought not, nothing about these topics. I mean, he's obviously, this is, this is stuff that he doesn't care much about, um, the state of horror. That's a joke. Um, but, you know, it's funny, I, and I think you're right, we're in a, we're in a flux, and I think te- technologically in a flux, we're also, in terms of cinema, we're also experientially in a, in a flux. Read the tea leaves a little bit here. When we talk about, te- let's take them one branch at a time. Let's take the uh, experiential branch, how we in- ingest cinema. Being in a dark room, the terrestrial cinema experience is leaving. How much of a bruising will that put on horror film genre? Are horror films, is the genre going to be uh, collateral damage because of the cinema experience changing, or is that overstated? I think that's overstated. I think I think cinema has definitely changed. I would even be, I would loosely even use the word cinema, but I think movies um, are, it is something different now than it was before. Um, and where I would say the collateral damage lies is if you were a person who was unhappy about that. And that is an esoteric group of people, like myself, for instance, <laughs> and it's very hard. I like how you um, both praise and throw yourself under the bus in the same sentence. It's fascinating. <laughs> well, what I mean is, like, I'm having a great existential crisis with what's happening to movies, certainly in America, and, but at the same time, I know that, like, it's not that important on a grand scale, what I think. You know, and this is something that, like, I have to just reconcile with because what people go to the movies to see now has changed. And that's not shocking. It's always changed. It's just changed a lot more in a short period of time yeah. than it did before. Yeah. It's, um, it's sort of like, uh, to keep weird political analogies, it's like sort of when people talk about global warming and it's like, well, it's always been warm. It's like, no, but the rate is faster yeah. is what we're, what we're noticing. And that's what it's like. Yeah, movies have always changed and they always will change. But the rate they've changed, I think, based on technology, is, um, is 
it, I'm not a tremendous fan of where it's changing to. And I might just ride that out and it might get back to where I want it to be, or it might turn into something I never even knew existed, or it might be time for me to just be interested in other things. I don't really know. Yeah. And that's hard as someone whose like, life has been very um, You're... at times defined by movies. I, I'm I'm struggling not to. I just bum you out. Well, no, you no, man. I mean, you, you kind of kidnapped my thought a little bit because I'm I. You know what I've been saying, Ty? I, I'm struggling with the second act of my life here. You know, and I'm not talking about chronologically. I I feel the same way. I'm I'm. I think every artist and creator does need multiple acts, and it sounds like a lot of us, maybe you and I, maybe not. I, you know, I can't speak for you, but there is a search for a lot of. I don't even think we're purists. I just think we're people who liked something and now we have to figure out how it grows and changes. We just had Justin Roiland who created Rick and Morty. He's all gung-ho about VR. What about horror and VR? VR being a very experiential format, not even a ticking clock format. Now we're rewiring the clocks experientially. Could horror have an interesting marriage uh, fling with virtual reality? Or again, is that too convenient to predict? Uh, I think it could. I think. I mean, I think. I think it could, and it will. How long that takes, I don't know. Right. Uh, you know, I think to me, virtual reality, and I, I it's a little bit like a theme park ride. Um, and I don't. Again, <laughs> yes. I don't mean that pejoratively. No, I you're right. I see it right now, and in, yeah. in, in ten years, I may go. What a stupid thing I said. It's actually there are no movies anymore. Everything's VR, and I didn't see it coming. Um, and I do see VR being like this is going to be. Like this is where we're headed, right? Because again, if I was sixteen. I might like the same kind of movies I like now, but it would be a lot harder to be that person than it was in 1995, you know, because yeah, yeah. there'd be so many other things to be interested in. Like, yep, yep, you know, it right. would, it, you would, there would be so many distractions that were like your friends or whatever was inspiring to you that is not the video store, because quite frankly, the video store doesn't exist anymore. So it's a little bit like, and I can't say, well, therefore they're lesser than in their taste because it's just not true. But for me, it's like, ah, like, yeah, there's probably a, like what's what's interesting to me and what like makes me concerned is like and the reason why I think like cinema is like not in a great place is not because I don't think there's good movies or anything like that. I mean, I do think that at times, but that's not where I'm going with that. Where I'm going at is like if, techn if technology has never been more available and it's never been more accessible and creativity has never been in, more in the hands of like creators. How come there's not like kids in high school making their own TV shows that aren't on like Netflix that they're just posting on their own website. And there's like 50 episodes like Mumblecore was sort of the last independent film movement. And then the next one was like Vine. And, and that to me is because <laughs> independent film wasn't cool to kids anymore. Vine was cool to kids or not yeah. Vine, but like yeah. social media was cool. So instead of somebody following up Mumblecore with like, like whatever I was doing with all my friends when I was 23 to 27, making these little movies, whatever 23 to 27 they didn't fill in after us they like they went to vine and so i don't know where the next group goes um because i'm like older and i don't not like hip enough but it's not movies and so that concerns me because it's not the art form that young people are going like this is where we need to go it's also now like the idea is like what's the what's the shortest path to success which you know when i was like a teenager success was like the evil word you know it was like don't sell out <laughs> now like between social media like it's a yeah, different yeah. it's a different trajectory and it's not a worse trajectory it's just different and so for me it's interesting to watch like ah you're everyone's really willing to like give up their power of being a creative to just like be famous 
um, or to be successful, whatever they define that as. And um, and that, to me, I think the art suffers because of that, because it becomes more disposable. Let's turn this car around a little bit, talking with Ty West. Yep. Um, horror has been a kind of Teflon thing. You know, when we talk, when we think of Murnau, we think of early expressionism, because horror is as much image-based. I mean, if you look at a film like The Babadook, which draws as much from, I mean, again, I'm being agnostic. I'm not trying to compare anyone's movies to anyone's movies, but as a placeholder, yeah. you know, she she referenced Streets of London, the, the Long Lost Long Cheney film, you know, iconic. So horror is, it seems to me, if any genre could really outlive the cockroaches like you and I, Horror stands a chance. What is a horror a referendum on in terms of timelessness? It's a two-part thing. It's one, it, they're audience-friendly movies. They didn't used to be because people used to see them as like trash. They were like one step above porn, which is like when I enjoyed them because I was like, oh, <laughs> yes. I'm watching the stuff that you know, right. you're not even supposed to watch. Now, right. horror is the most successful genre ever. So it's, it, has a, it doesn't have this like seedy vibe that it used to have, which to me is disappointing, but to you know people in the business, what a great thing. And, <laughs> I agree. and the thing is that because people can go... People can go into a theater and they can have a, or wherever, they can watch on their phone, whatever, and they can have a visceral experience that is a like call and response to the movie and creates a reaction to them and they, it's like they can talk to their friends about it and it's like an audience experience. Like The kind of movies that are like commercial horror movies are very audience engaging. Type. They're not, that's why you don't see a movie like Eyes Without a Face being a big horror movie now and you see you know movies with like lots of like jump scares in your face being a, a, a big movie thing because it's like, that's what the audience is. They're going and they're expecting that, and it's like a ride for them. So they're looking at horror as an ex- as a movie experience that they can have with their friends. Um, that that's that's not really going to go away. I don't think. Yeah, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. So, but more so, the thing about horror is you can make it for any amount of money. You can make big horror movies. You can make small horror movies. But the 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 point I'm making about making small horror movies is with this genre, the experience or the genre, or the story, or the idea, or the movie, if you will, is the star. Yeah. So it helps if you have famous people in it. Like, it helps that The Conjuring has recognizable people in it. But the the haunted house is why they're there. Yeah, the psycho house is the is the you know is again we can make a case for any element of psycho, but the house is a character. The house arguably is a protagonist. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's yeah. Right. So the, yeah. so there's an element of you can make a small movie if your idea is good or if your you know clever genre hook is there because that's what that's what movies are sold on now are like high concept one sentence ideas. And then if you put celebrities in it, it's just going to help you. But. <laughs> You know, that's it has a different egoism, though. It has a different egoism. And that's why I love it as a genre. Sorry to jump in. It relies on the primordial realities. Uh, You know, Hitch Hitchcock said all he learned about cinema. He learned from German Expressionism. You know, it's a reliance on the prime, you know, light and shadow Uh, performance, but a different egotism to performance. You know, so a different expectation. Yeah. Sorry. Go on. But the thing is that Hitchcock, in, in many ways, is, is a really, I think, um, valuable reference point for current cinema. Absolutely. Because Hitchcock, because for, for someone like me, who was incredibly inspired by, say, someone like Hitchcock, who was um, as good a filmmaker as ever existed, uh, when you watch a Hitchcock movie, 
you're so unbelievably aware that you're watching a movie. Yes. Like, it's 100% yes. artifice. Like, yes. the performances are, like, studio-type <laughs> yes. performances. Yes. The sets look fake, and, yes. and, and they always kind of did. Right. The camera movements, like, someone will leave a room, and the camera pushes all the way in on a note on the table, and it's you're so obvious that, like, the director went, and now Dolly in. Like, exactly. They're so pregnant. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and and then the then Bernard Herrmann's score uh, comes in, and it's like, this is super noticeable and obvious, and every choice <laughs> is so apparent to you and what that is to me is a cinema and that is not what we are making now we are not making cinema where it's a artistic experience as much as it's a like escapism entertaining experience and i'm not trying to be like no i don't i think you're reporting you're reporting information yeah i don't think you're you're like get off my lawn with your your avengers but if you made a movie like hitchcock now yeah as you, I believe you would get a million studio notes about how none of it's working yeah. because you, the camera movements are too obvious, the music's too like bombastic, and, and it's overselling it, and the performances are stiff, and what, and it's just sort of like you're missing the point yeah. of what this is. But they're not wrong because the market doesn't want that. The market would be like, this is like dumb. You know, they would look at a Hitchcock <laughs> movie like this is. I'm sure kids would look at, you know, uh, Strangers on the Train or North by Northwest or Rear Window and be like. This is cheesy. I know. And you know, like, the opening of Strangers on the Train. <laughs> Let's follow their feet. Like I mean, they, they, yeah, yeah, sorry. <laughs> and they wouldn't be wrong to yeah. think it's that way because it's not, it's not part of what they're used to in movies. But if you look at movies as a thing, like as a, as a art, as a, as a craft, as an American uh, industry over time, it's like brilliant what it is. But you have to look at it. You have to want to see it as a craft otherwise it doesn't it won't you can't see it you'll just see it as like it seems fake but i don't know when all of a sudden people decided that all we want out of movies is realism and plot i I do anything else (laughs) i i I do well let me say one last thing sorry you can tell me what that is (laughs) Um, sorry man you're just psyching me up here go on sorry well i because for me realism and plot are, they have always been very low on the list of why I go to the movies. Like, yeah. I've not gone to the movies to think, like, it's one thing if you're making, like, Zero Dark Thirty and you want to have a sense of, like, visceral realism, like, I get that. Right. But now, every war movie has to be shot that way. Which, by the way, I think Apocalypse Now is the best war movie, which is shot in no way realistic whatsoever. It's, like, super expressionistic and bizarre. I agree, yeah. And an incredible achievement. Like, when you look at that movie and you go, hey, how did they uh, get all that, fo- oh, they just dropped bombs in the jungle. They did what? Yeah, they got the <laughs> army and they dropped bombs and then filmed it. And it's like, Oh, but that would be like, hey, there's an adage of like, if it's not moving the plot along, cut it. And I don't understand that. But that's a problem for me because I'm also aware that that is not how movies work now. And so it's frustrating because to me, if it's not moving the plot along, it's probably interesting. The, the greatest documentary on filmmaking is Hearts of Darkness. Uh, the second greatest is Apocalypse Now itself. I, I agree with you. And, and uh, a couple more things here with Ty West. And frankly, unfortunately, this, his, this is driving me a little crazy because he's hitting every effing note that I've ever imparted to my students. And it's just really cool to talk to a really big, super brain like Ty West but um, I think I know when it was just to go back to your thought um, I I always located a little bit around uh, the 90s 90s cinema especially in American indie cinema and it's great spanking the monkey you know welcome to the Dahas love it but we we lost um, everything became ironic you know and I think the 80s were the last bastion you know all those movies were earnest 
And when Sundance hit, and I'm not bashing Sundance, but if we read the tea leaves backwards, I think once we lost earnestness and we introduced irony, filmmaking changed. Cultural irony changed filmmaking. And I'll say one other thing. It's narcissism. Narcissism, you ask about these young creators who aren't creating, it's narcissism. And I say that objectively. It's people not seeing yeah. beyond the edge of their nose, as the French like to say. So you're right. It's harder to be a kid now. It's harder to be a student now. But what they're bunkering, they're, they're hiding behind a form of narcissism that doesn't allow them to collaborate, doesn't allow them to see worth beyond their own worth. I, I have two disagreements with what you're saying. That's, I think, I think you're rip. right about earnestness in movies. And I think, I think irony has in many ways damaged uh, cinema. Um, and I, postmodernism, irony, whatever it may be. Um, I don't necessarily think it's the 90s or the beginning of Sundance. I think the 90s is probably one of the last great eras of movies, even though plenty of terrible movies and MTV editing and all these things could happen, and that's a bummer. Mm. But, like, I can say that Train Spotting is a movie that was very, like, is, is to this day still craft, like, more interesting than most movies that come out. Incredible. And that's an incredible yep. achievement. Yep. And whether it be Pulp Fiction or even, like, well, the point I'm going to make, and I'll tie it into Mumblecore, is that. The 90s independent movies were an unapologetic um, reaction to saying, like, we are creating a genre of movies that is not Hollywood. Like, it's, our purpose yeah. is to not be like Hollywood movies. Whereas if you look at independent movies now, not everyone, of course, but a, a frighteningly large amount is just trying to make a Hollywood movie for no money. Yeah. And that's all they're doing. Like, it's just like, oh, no, make a movie that looks just like a studio movie, but just make it for nothing. So that way you get a job doing the next giant movie. Right. And I'm not right. knocking that. Like, I'm like, hoping to do that myself. But like, it's, <laughs> the 90s was much more of a like, no, 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 like, we don't want to be a part of your industry. We want to create our own. I think and that's what I'll right. Say about Mumblecore, yeah. and why I think it's the last independent film movement is like, if that phone didn't ring, they kept making movies anyway. So, like, in Mumblecore, every time someone would talk about, which is such a stupid name, but any time someone would reference a Mumblecore movie, the filmmakers they're referencing had already made one, if not two, movies since then. Because they weren't making it, they were making it just because they were making it. And everyone yeah. was working together, and everyone just wanted to be making movies because it's what everyone was doing with their lives. Yeah. And yes, they were trying to get noticed, and yes, they were trying to build careers. But, like, until that happened, they were just going to keep working. And to your point of narcissism, now it's like, no, 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 like, don't just keep making things makes one thing with the pursuit of where you want to be. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just different. And that's why I don't yeah. think there's... Yeah. That's why I think Mumblecore was the last sort of like movement, because if you looked at Mumblecore and you were an established filmmaker, you're like, these look like shit and sound like shit, and a bunch of people complain. Like, I don't get this. It's like, that's fine that you don't get it. They're making it anyway. Yeah. And they keep going despite you not getting it, because they're not even listening to you. And that's why it was a movement. And that's why the 90s, to me, was like a revolt against Hollywood by saying, like, we're we're like the anti that. Yeah, and I that's think that's no right. Long, like independent films now yeah. is not anti Hollywood. Independent films now is mini Hollywood, and that to me has like gutted a lot of the cinema and the passion in it. Last thing I'll say about that is, I don't think it was the '90s. I think it was 9/11. Hmm. I think after 9/11, I don't. I don't. I think it changed everything, and I don't think. I certainly don't think we've recovered, and I don't think we're going to recover anytime soon. I think it changed what people looks for in uh, not just art, but specifically movies. And I don't know, I don't know if that ever goes back. Hmm. So I think there's a sense of irony and postmodernism that probably grew up in the 90s that you're referencing. And I think it just got the nail in the coffin after 9-11 when everyone became scared 
of like the world. Last question, man. Um, did you ever go to one of the Masters of Horror dinner dinners? Do you know what those I have. Are? I've been to a couple of them, yeah. Can you tell, um, uh, let me backtrack and then I'll leave you the last word. We, um, The late, incredible, big-hearted Wes Craven was a guest of mine in Los Angeles. We did a discussion. One of his favorite films was Children of Men, and we did a screening and discussion of it. it was super cool. Just an, I found him to be just a most genteel, nice guy, and he told me about the Masters of Horror Dinners. I'm guessing a lot of people listening don't know what those were or if they still are, and you may be sworn to secrecy, but can you tell us a little bit about the, what the Masters of Horror Dinners were or are? Uh, it's just a group of uh, filmmakers. Um, there's a filmmaker that puts it together, great guy, and... He, you know, he he knows what it's like to be a film. It's a lonely road, you know, and so he puts together a bunch of like-minded horror people, and then we all go and get dinner, and you chat it up. And I think it's a, it's a nice night out, and b, I think it it ideally will help kind of inspire one to like not, like I said, it's quite traumatic doing this job. Uh, it's certainly not as not digging a ditch, and there's plenty of worse jobs in the world than this. But you know, it, it's not natural for a human being, I think, to do this. And so when you're around a whole bunch of people that are probably to some degree as crazy as you. There's a um, safety in numbers to that, and it's inspiring. And, you know, I've been able to, having gone to those dinners, I feel very fortunate. I've been able to talk to people that ordinarily I would never interact with, that are people that I was watching their movies, and their movies have informed the language of cinema that I know. And they've been very gracious to talk to, and um, it's just a very cool, inspiring thing. And it's, I mean, but aside from all that, like, it's just a, it's a nice night out in a, in a lonely profession. Do you, do you guys talk about? Can you talk shop, or is it you're supposed to talk about like baseball? Oh, you can talk about whatever you want. I mean, it's just it's not. It, there's no like it's not a curated. It's just sort of a bunch of people at a big table at a restaurant, and you know you, you might sit down next to someone, and then when it's over, you might get up and walk over to someone and talk to them. And um, it's not it's not eyes wide shut. It's the, uh, <laughs> there's no sex table. There's no human sex table. Fidelio to get in. <laughs> Well, um, I, I I don't know if I can let the cat, you know, Mick Garris, I don't know if he still organizes them. Here's the last question. Yeah, and Mick, Mick is the person who does it, yes. Does he still do it, or, or like, can you, you have to say no comment? I mean, do these still happen? I'm not trying to crash. Oh, I don't know if there's any secret. I'm not trying to be secret. No, Mick Garris is the person who puts it on, and, and Mick Garris is a wonderful, great guy. And uh, he's the one that curates it and puts everybody together. Do you guys still uh, do them? Yeah, they're, they're not, they're like maybe a couple times a year. It makes complete sense that you're in this fraternity. You know, you're more than just a horror filmmaker, but you definitely have the, you, you know, you have this tattoo on you as well, and it's a nice tattoo, and, and we're the better for it, because I think you're doing, you're, you're, you're you're applying your craft at a really high level, man. And maybe horror is where you start and not where you finish, but I, I think what you're doing is creating a really unique legacy, and I want to thank you for that. Well, I appreciate you saying that. It is, uh, that is the hope in many ways, and that's uh, sort of like the unfortunate path that I have chosen to continue. Actually, I'll connect it to this, and then we'll go. Um, Children of Men, which you referenced with West Craven Messages. If you watch it, by the way, if you watch that again recently, it's like the most prophetic, intense movie ever. Like, it's just so, you're like, whoa, it's this is happening. I know, I know. But um, <laughs> that movie is craft at an incredibly high level. Yep. And that was a giant budget movie. Yep. And that to me, I want nothing more than Alfonso Cuaron to make, whether it be a Marvel movie, whether it to be the San Andreas movie, whatever. Like, I would love to see a giant earthquake movie directed by somebody who is that level of craft. Yep. Yep. What I don't want to see is a giant earthquake movie or a giant tsunami movie or a giant alien or superhero movie that doesn't have great craft. Because I'm thinking, you have $200 million and that's the best you could do? 
Like I, it's like there's nothing here that's anything other than just like buildings falling down and close-ups of people's faces talking. Like that's so <laughs> uninteresting yeah. for all of the resources that you have. So yeah. to me, I just want to see filmmakers who have great craft make great big commercial movies and it, all we have to do is do that. And if people get into that, then people are more inclined to be interested in, uh, like, cinema as a thing again. But as long as they're made, you know, just to kind of hurry it along and get through it and just tell the plot, then, you, then you're – by telling the plot, you're hiding the craft, unless the craft is, like, writing, in which case there are a few people, you know, the Aaron Sorkins of the world that, that are able to write movies that are just dialogue-driven that you're like, That's, that was enough for me. But there's not many people that do that either. So – it's just finding, like, how do you get people on a large scale to elevate the craft to something more than just an effects reel? G- give me uh, David Lynch's Dune, which is a quote-unquote failure any day, over uh, San Andreas 3. San Andreas 3 should be my favorite movie ever yeah, yeah. if it was just made with high-level craft. Yeah, That's all. You know what I mean? If it was made with the same craft that, you know, whatever chosen Oscar movie is, then San Andreas would be amazing. I'm not above by any means a giant earthquake movie. That's awesome. Yeah. But like, yeah. I am above like, mm, like I don't actually, if I go see a giant earthquake movie, I don't really care if they make it to the end. Like, I just assume they will. And if they don't, I'll be like, oh, that was surprising. Yeah. But I'm not going for this. I know what's going to happen. The earthquake's going to happen. They're going to try to get out. It's going to be yeah. a problem. Like, I get it. Like, so show it to me in such a way that I feel viscerally stimulated by it or engaged by it or sort of like challenged by it um that can still be commercial i believe Um, but i think people are afraid that it won't be i agree the 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 mystery is not whether they'll make it to the end of that movie it's whether i will hey man the next time we do this let's do it over curly fries at the mall because this has been great and it'd be cool just to hang out and and shoot the shit with you and and talk about like grumpy movie lover stuff man thank you so much we should do it in Europe and do some really pretentious thing. I know. We talk about Godard and, uh, and Fellini. Uh, I think it would be a good idea. But, I, but, I'll, but I'll, I'll be careful what you involved. be careful what you wish for. You know, this is not the last time, but the first time. Thank you for for being here on Murmur, uh, Ty West. Thanks, man. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. So, are you ready to make the next movie? Sure. Good. Forty to fifty grand. Yeah, you told me that already. You want your dreams to come true? My dreams. What dreams are that? Is that? What's your American dream? I don't have any dreams anymore. You don't? No. You can't stop now. What are you going to do, sit around outside of a trailer? We'll film you sitting outside of a trailer, man, but we ain't going to live sitting outside of a trailer. Where else am I going to sit? Well, you're going to sit on and buy a green, uh, large green grass. You, look, man, let me tell you something. Old people are yammering and yammering about is the American dream. All they're talking about is the land of opportunity. All it is is lip service. Here we're living it, and I will be goddamned if I don't get the American dream. Mm. Hello? Come again? Come again? Mm. Stay? Stay a while, stick around a while, stick around as long as you can. Heaven help you, God help you, Jesus help you, everybody else help you. Everybody, everybody make happy. 
make everybody happy. Be a comedian. Thanks, Uncle Bill. Uh, so one correction and one I told you so. So the correction is the greatest uh, film about filmmaking, the greatest documentary about filmmaking is American Movie, 1999, Chris Smith. Uh, I'm not the only one who thinks this. I think most people who ever see this movie would agree. Uh, Jeff Tweedy and I did an event where I asked Jeff to pick a movie that's inspired him and actually American Movie was his choice. Then comes Hearts of Darkness. Then comes Apocalypse Now, the film. Then you may want to say The Making of the Shining by Vivian Kubrick. Now, here's the I told you so. Oh, my God. Was that incredible? And I I had an itch that, or I had a, a Spider-Sense thing that he was going to go into cinema tie and where we are with cinema, and he did. And talk. You know, it's funny, at the very beginning... If you were there, he said, you know, my question to him about horror and Dostoevsky was a lot to unpack. Well, if if I had a lot to unpack, he gave me an even bigger package that didn't come out right. But he gave me a bigger suitcase of information. It's a trunk. It's a steamer trunk. Uh, and I want to I'm going to go back and listen. And that's not some coy, silly uh, sales pitch. It was just incredible. I, I never had I've never spoken to Ty and you could see the value of having guests when they're not promoting something in general or talking to artists and creators because, you know, it's it's not only that. That's too simplistic. He thinks about this stuff. He is a philosopher of the form. It reminded me, actually, while we were talking, Jean-Luc Godard several I mean, countless times probably asked, probably not asked anymore because he wouldn't answer, what how would you describe the Nouvelle Vague, the French New Wave? He summed it up rather succinctly. He said, for most, reality was a touchstone of cinema. For us, cinema was a touchstone of reality. Simply translated, most people go into the cinema and think about real life. The Nouvelle Vague went into real life and thought about cinema. And to Ty's point, this has changed. Can we get it back? Is it cool to be cool? Can it be cool to be cinema cool ever again? I'm gonna say the jury's still out. We're gonna we're gonna have to keep talking to people about this. Uh, you're gonna have to keep listening. And again, that's not a sales pitch. It's just good advice. Want to thank Ty West for being with us today. MurmurRadio.com modernschooloffilm.com We'll be in Boston at the Coolidge Corner Theater with Skip Gates, Dr. Henry Louis Gates Jr. to be exact, May 10th. We'll be in Chicago at the Onion Comedy Festival with Chris Christopher Guest talking movies. But we're here every week WHUPLP live talking to you on Murmur. See you soon. <laughs>